We just want to say thank you, moms and grandmas as well, for all of the service, the faithful work, the hard work, the many times behind-the-scenes work of parenting and uh, helping raise these children. There is no greater gift than to see your children walking with the Lord. No greater longing for the Christian parent than to see that happen. And mothers, you play a critical role in that piece. And so thank you. And keep it up. Keep up the good work. All right. If you need a Bible, wave your hands and uh, the ushers can get you one. Uh, The topic that uh, I picked for Mother's Day is demon possession. It's actually just the next section in the text, and so that's where we're at today. And uh, moms, we love you. Now let's study the Word together and understand more about this, our enemy. And uh, let me pray as we jump into these verses, if you would join me. Lord, we move now from our gratitude to the gift of motherhood from you, all its impact, all the challenges and the, and the trials and the joys of mothering. And we draw our attention to your word, which is uh, living and active for us today. We thank you for this gift. Father, we love you and we pray now that you would speak and that you would teach and instruct us from your word. Father, protect us from an enemy who hates what we do who detests what is about to happen here as I seek to pull back the curtain on his work, his his aim and his goal. And Lord, I dare not venture out into this type of thing without a total reliance upon your power and your protection as we go. Father, if I stand on my own, I fail. There is no way to face an enemy like this on my own, but Lord, in your power, there is victory, certain victory. And so we go forward boldly today, and we ask that you would use us to storm the very gates of hell, bring the enemy down, bring light where darkness reigns, accomplish all your good pleasure for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Titled the sermon, Chainbreaker. And uh, you might have heard that song. I'll play it as we dismiss this morning. The Chainbreaker, right? It's kind of got that country thing. I like that. The Chainbreaker. Jesus is the Chainbreaker. And uh, we're going to draw and kind of see how that unfolds this morning as we move through. Uh, These are amazing verses. They give us a window into an experience that the disciples had that most of us probably have not had uh, to, to come and confront someone who is demon-possessed. It is a memorable experience, certainly, if you have had it. Uh, My dad has run into situations like this. At this point in my ministry, I haven't, but I expect that to come at some point. So the chain breaker, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Uh, Let's just begin first by uh, considering a little bit about this enemy. We have an enemy. It's easy to forget this. Why? Well, because he's invisible. We can't see him. We, we, we cannot uh, have our senses engaged and, and, and confront him in a, any visible way. But my friends, we have an enemy. And the scripture warns us again and again not to forget that. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is an enemy. His name is Satan or Lucifer. And he has a cohort of demons who are real. They are dangerous. When God created all that is through the Son, through Christ Himself, He did so in six days. Early in that creation, the angels were made. And they beheld, they were firsthand witness to the, the creative, spoken power of the Son as He created all that is. It says they, they delighted, they rejoiced at the power on display as the Son created. At some point after that, we don't know exactly how long, but probably not very long, there was a rebellion. Lucifer desired the glory that was God's alone, and he rose up against the Lord, and he sought to take that glory for himself, and he was cast down, cast down, out of heaven, down to the earth, and the angels were given one choice. Be faithful to the Lord, the sovereign, or join the rebellion. And a third of the angels followed Lucifer. And they were cast down. That is what demons are. They are angels who have been cast down. They have uh, chosen to go against God. They hate the glory of God. They hate everything that, that shows His glory. And they are loyal to Satan and they are this present darkness. They are your enemy. Every temptation that you battle comes from the world, the flesh, or the devil. Many times woven in together. The, 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 the echo of sin, right? Genesis chapter 3. We see this happening early in your scriptures. Here is the snake. Who is that? That's Lucifer. He tempts. And we collectively rebel. What's interesting about angels and those who rebelled against the Lord is there is absolutely no salvation for them. They had one decision and their fate is secured. They are judged, condemned, sentenced, and awaiting the final punishment, the lake of fire. We carry His image and by His grace alone, we have been given an opportunity for forgiveness and life. An amazing thing it is to consider. We get something that those demons who rebelled against the Lord are not offered. Salvation. Jesus said much about Satan and his cohort. He said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we have the kingdom of darkness and sin and rebellion and hatred of all that God is and His glory and His goodness, His purpose. And we have Christ who stands for the light and the total delight in all that God is and His glory. I glorified you, Father. Now glorify the Son, right? There is in Jesus this, this crescendo of glory 
and unity and submission to the Father. You could not have a more opposite reality. Now, in our day, it is popular to make light of the enemy. I was just watching uh, DuckTales with Gracie the other day and was struck with how they give these caricatures of Satan with the horns and all of this. It's hocus-pocus stuff, right? It's kids' entertainment. Oh, but it's not real. Or it's horror films. And get scared so that you have some power over fear. Is that how that works, right? If we can communicate to our heart that this is not real, then we don't have to be afraid of it. And so we work hard in our day to deny the reality of evil, of Satan, of demons. You can't see it. You can't test it. It doesn't exist. Hmm. Friends, Satan is real, and that's exactly what he wants you to believe, that he's not there. That's his greatest attack. He loves to hide behind the scenes, behind the curtain. He loves to work and accomplish all kinds of hellish accomplishment without anyone knowing that it was his work. He loves to take away from the glory of God and do so as an angel of light, masquerading as as right and upright. Now, uh, remember when Frank Peretti wrote those books years ago, This Present Darkness and then Piercing the Darkness, and then a lot of Christians began, you know, like slaying the demon in their alarm clock or the demon that ate their homework. I mean, everybody had a demon, you know, fighting with them, and there was this overreaction, and, and it moved from denial in some circles to preoccupation, which is also a problem, right? You can overly focus on Satan and the demons and everything becomes, you know, the wrestling match and the spiritual warfare and we're slaying this and we're doing that and we're, you know, hedges of protection, which I never thought was that impressive. You can jump over a hedge, right? It's just a hedge, a firewall, you know, of protection. So do not deny, but also don't come over here. Don't, Don't become preoccupied with Satan and demons. We had missionaries visit when we were young. (laughs) And they told some stories about demonic activity in our living room. It scared me to death. It was real. And I'm laying in bed, looking in my closet, and hoping nothing happens, you know. So this is the balancing act for us. As we are in Christ, we have to understand there is an enemy. He hates everything that we are. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy in our lives. And he's a dog on a leash in the hand of God. We have an enemy, but we fear the Lord. He is greater. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we come to the topic then of demon possession. The question immediately comes, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? The answer is absolutely not. A Christian is a temple of God himself. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. You are filled with the Spirit of God. There is no place left for a demon to find home in you. 
If you do not have the Holy Spirit, if you are not looking to Christ as Savior and Lord, then the answer is very much yes. There are people who play games with this. They open themselves to demonic influence. They think it's, it's, it's some kind of power to be grabbed onto or something to be trifled with. Ouija boards, right? Fortune telling, fill in the gap, horoscopes, all this kinds of craziness and even more explicit necromancing. Friends, this stuff is real. If there is a power on display and it is not of God, where is it from? It's from the pits of hell. Don't play games with the very real enemy. And so steer clear of this stuff. I'll never forget the day after football practice, my buddies were all gathered around the Ouija board. (laughs) What are you guys doing? Are you kidding me? Don't mess with it. Steer clear of it. Demon possession is real. People have been possessed throughout points in history, very well chronicled, very real, um, even recent experiences of this. Now, I think there was a crescendo of this during the time of Jesus because of his mission and the focus of his, his work in this region. It seemed like there was just all kinds of demonic activity. And we look around and say, well, I don't, it doesn't seem the same now. It's probably not. But those who are possessed by a demon can have unbelievable strength. They can have unbelievable um, displays of different uh, sound. Uh, My my father was helping someone one time and uh, the lady was talking and all of a sudden it was not the lady talking. It's a very different voice. Voice deep of someone totally different. That is real stuff. The power of prayer comes into play in a major way in those scenarios. There's all kinds of displays of this. It tends to be suicidal thoughts. It tends to be violent outbursts. It tends to be uh, uh, solitude-seeking, isolating, all kinds of displays of demonic activity. But many times in our clinical experience of our day, it's just diagnosed as labels and given pills, right? Hmm. The filling of the Spirit is the guarantee of protection from any possession of the enemy. However, I will say this, it is not a guarantee against oppression. You can come under attack. Job is a great example of this in an Old Testament category. By permission from God himself, Satan came and waylaid this man's life, a faithful follower of the Lord, of the God who is. God is big enough to um, sovereignly move even through something like that. I was studying, preparing for this sermon and was just struck with how significant it is that I pray as I do so. This is, we're not playing games. This is real. This is serious. I would be foolish to to work on a sermon like this without bathing it in prayer. Now, with that in view, we come to our passage. Let's read some of these verses and understand uh, how this all unfolds. Possessed and tormented. Verse 26, 
They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Now, jump to 29b. I want to get this description in this part of the text. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. I titled the sermon, The Chain Breaker, and we begin understanding this man is the chain breaker. He, he cannot be restrained. He has demons that possess him in such a way that he is able to overpower and break out of any bonds that they set on him. He can't be guarded. He can't be restrained. No one can face him. Incredible. Now let's just see where we're at here. Jesus has sailed across the lake, and last week we saw it was a very treacherous sailing, wasn't it? So they came across at night, probably from Capernaum or somewhere over on this side, and the eastern wind was blowing this way, so they didn't probably make it that far until the calming of the seas and the winds and the waves. And so then they sailed on for the rest of the night and landed over here in the region of the Gerasenes. This is a Gentile area. Um, it was referred to as Decapolis because it was a, a ten-city Gentile region, faithful to Caesar. They viewed Caesar as God. Now, this was a, a place you wouldn't expect Jesus to go, but they did. They land on the shore, and uh, not only was it a memorable night, but it was a memorable welcome. Okay, I want to I want you to picture what this may have been like. This man with the demons probably would have spotted this boat coming to the shore from a distance out. Easy to sit there and, and watch it come in. And as it got closer and closer, I think he saw, well, they're actually going to set foot in my domain. And so he lights up out of these tombs that he's living in and comes running down the hill with shrieks and screams, intimidating, trying to, to bring fear and probably, unless they turn back, attack. Imagine how many people this guy has attacked, maybe even killed. He comes running down the hill. When he came to the other side, listen to what Matthew says. Uh, he came to the other side, the country of the Gardarenes, Two demon-possessed men met him, okay? So now we're talking not just one guy who has demons, but two. And you kind of say, well, wait a second. Is that a discrepancy between the Gospels? No, I don't think it is. They came down out of the tombs, two men with demons, but the focus is only on one. So what happened to the second guy? We don't know. Maybe he came and at the sight of Jesus, turned and bolted and went the other way. Or maybe he came and was saved and delivered as well. We don't know. But the focus in Mark and in Luke is purely on this one man as they exchange back and forth. So they come down the hill. This man is unclean. Don't forget that. He's a Gentile. He's been living among the tombs, among the dead. That is a guaranteed don't go near it if you are Jewish. Okay? You, you can't touch someone like this or you're instantly unclean. He is unclothed. He's naked. It's fascinating how 
the enemy seeks this for, uh, to, to, to tarnish and to pull down and to mock the image of God. Genesis chapter 3, remember? Immediately after sin, what was it that they realized? They were naked and ashamed. Nakedness, uncovering, uncleanliness. The man is from the city. So we understand this guy was a normal dude living in the city nearby. And at some point along the way, demons took up residence in him and drove him from his home, probably his family, his house, and they drove him out to live among the tombs. He would have uh, been exposed to the elements. Here's, here's an amazing thing to consider. He went through the same storm. He's sitting in the tombs, exposed, not under a roof. He's, he's living among the dead, and he's watching this raging storm on the Sea of Galilee, and then, bam, the wind is gone. The waves are stilled. He would have witnessed that from the shore. This is a not a huge lake. I mean, that would have been an experience that he had had that night before. So maybe his interest was piqued. What's going on here? Something's out of place. He is supernaturally powerful. To break free of chains, I just can't even imagine to have someone shackled with chains and he shatters the shackles of chains. That's a big chain. He breaks the chains. The guards can't guard him. They're too afraid. He's loud. He's intimidating. I realize I'm not a very good yeller. I I can't even begin to act this out for you. It would not work. It would would fail utterly. He is a screaming, demon-possessed man. Shrieking loudly, intimidating. Fear is his currency. He delights in it. He's violent and extremely dangerous. He's a constant threat and annoyance, but more than that, a great concern for those who live nearby. This is a reoccurring issue. Think of how many times parents would be like, oh no, where are the kids? They didn't go over there to the tombs, did they? constantly worrying about where are people don't go that way the guy with the demons is over there in fact listen to what we read in mark chapter 5 the the man with the demons lived among the tombs no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles into pieces no one had the strength to subdue him Night and day. Listen to what he did. Night and day. Can you imagine living near this? Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. There is a display of a man here, not only fearsome and outward trying to create fear, but also a tortured man suffering. This is a real man who has all of these demons in him, and he is being tormented, and he's hurting him. So think of the wounds and the scars, all that would have come with this. The shrieks day and night. Fear, isolation, 
intimidation, violence, misery, and torment. It's what this man knew. It was his normal for a long, long time. Until this day, when everything changed. (laughs) I think if you're Bartholomew, you might whisper over to Thomas and be like, I think I'll ride this one out in the boat, right? I'm not, I'm good right here. Maybe back off the shore a little bit. We'll just let Jesus, it says Jesus got out of the boat, but it doesn't say anything about the other 12 getting out of the boat. There's a few reasons for this. In fact, I think there may be something to this. This was a Gentile region. This man was from tombs unclean. He was naked. He was scary. I think for many reasons, these Jewish men would have said, we'll ride this out right here. And so it's likely that they stayed in the boat. Now, recognition and request. Verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now 29a, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Now jump to 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. This is a fascinating exchange. Jesus is standing on the shore. Now picture this. They've come through a storm. It's morning time. He sets foot on the beach, and here comes a screaming maniac down the hill, enraged and violent and loud. (laughs) And as close as he got, as soon as he saw the face of Christ, he dropped and screamed. Jesus is just standing there. But as soon as he glimpsed the face of this man, he crumpled to the ground. What do we make of this? Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Whether willingly or not, the reality is he is Lord. This demon witnessed the Son create. This is, he was there. That's how old they are. These demons, I should say, they know who this is. This is the Son. This is the Sovereign. Now, do they bow and worship? Absolutely not. They hate Christ. They hate Him. But they bow nonetheless. They cannot stand before Him, and they beg. They bow and they beg of Jesus. a weird witness to the divinity of Christ this is. That, that a demon, just like we saw in chapter 4 of Luke, that a demon would say, you're Jesus, son of the most high God. What do we do with that? Well, demons are liars, right? So we don't bank all of our hopes on the word of a demon. However, it is a strange witness to the divinity of Christ to the reality of Trinity in Scripture. It's another reference. You can't help but say it. (gasps) 
Son of the Most High God, Jesus, it's you. Why are you here? Then he goes on to plead. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. He says that to Jesus. Now, friends, in our day, do we equate torment with Jesus? Should we? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is God. He will play an active role in divine wrath and torment. Jesus is a Savior and an executioner. We have to stay biblical. We have to stay balanced. We cannot just choose one version of Jesus that is warm and fuzzy and ignore the reality. He comes with a sword and he treads the winepress of the wrath of the fury of God. He will march down the nations in fury and wrath. That same Jesus who hung on the cross. This demon... This group here, they know who he is. In Mark, we find a fascinating uh, display here. He actually employs the name of God in a request that God not torment him. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. How silly is that? You're going to use the name of God against Jesus? Doesn't work. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, what are we talking about? What's the abyss? Why do these demons fear Jesus so much? And what is it about Jesus that they fear in relation to the abyss? The abyss. Well, let's fast forward to Revelation 20. This is their certain future, which, my friends, they know. They know the story. They've read it. It's there. It's plain. When a thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. I believe that's the abyss, the bottomless pit. And he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain, that's Megiddo, uh, where we were um, not long ago, last year. And uh, uh, they surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, Jerusalem. Listen to what's going to happen. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil, Satan, Lucifer, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they, Satan and all of his rebellious cohort, will be tormented. It's ongoing, active, They will be tormented day and night forever. By who? By God. God will do this. Do you realize that in hell, Satan is not ruler? We've got to know this. There's this false idea that somehow you, you go to hell and Satan is kind of the king of hell and Jesus is like the king of heaven. No, Jesus is Lord of hell and heaven. And he will dispense wrath in one place, the lake of fire, and joy and life and blessing in the new heaven and new earth 
forever. That is their future. They know it, and still they rail against Jesus. Now, here's the question. We've seen him calm the sea. We've seen his sovereign power just just a few minutes ago, right? On the lake, he stilled the waves to glass. He took the wind and ceased it. He, he, He muzzled it. What about this guy? Listen to verse 32. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. I loved it. This is sovereignty on display. Please let us enter these pigs. Go. So with the word he sends them. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. This is a massive uh, swine suicide taking place. They fly down the hill. Whether it was a cliff or not, we can't say for sure, but but in in my mind, it's it's even better if they're just launching. (laughs) And then they're gone. The disciples did not see that coming. Here is uh, where scholars believe uh, this took place, most likely. I want you to picture the, the, the range, the hillside. It's not the best picture, but it's all I could, could pull off here. Um, this is probably happening right down on the shoreline here. Here's a boat, actually. That's kind of funny. Um, but somewhere down in here, and then we drove our bus right along this road, all the way along this, this edge of the Sea of Galilee, and our driver, or our tour guide, Dr. John, pointed out this area right here where most likely these pigs were. And when the demons filled these pigs and turned them into demon pigs, they ran. Now just imagine, what would this sound like? Have you ever picked a pig up? We babysat one of these pet pigs once. Did, does anybody have a pet pig here? Okay. It's just weird, okay? It was weird. There's folks in the church in Yakima, they had a pet pig. We babysat him once. That's what it was, once. And I went to pick the guy up to put him in front of his food, and this noise, it sounded demonic. But he was a cute little guy. Imagine if it really was demonic. They rushed down this bank with violent speed. And they dive headfirst into the lake and drown every single one. What's fascinating is this was understood, the Sea of Galilee was understood to be the abyss. Hmm. Why the pigs? You ever wondered that? What did the pigs do? Those cute little guys. They're only cute when they're small. Uh, Why the pigs? You know, Mark says there was about 2,000 pigs in this herd that committed suicide in the lake. 2,000 pigs. First of all, pigs are unclean for the Jews. To farm pigs would have been the ultimate wrong. So clearly we're in a Gentile region, and pig farming is pig farming, right? They're, They're raising pigs. They're not Jews. They're Gentiles. So I don't think we can put it on the pig. Here's a stab at it. Here's what I would think. Jesus made visible 
what would have otherwise been invisible. Okay, when, when he delivered the man in Luke chapter 4 from the demon and threw the demon out, what we have left is the, the radical change in the man who's there. But we have no sense for what was overcome when that demon left. Here, we've got 2,000 pigs committing suicide in a lake. They say legion. Their name is legion, for they are many. That's 6,000. Well, whether they're 6,000 or not, probably not, because demons are liars. But at least 2,000. And they died. They died. Now, the seminary question is always, well, where did the demons go then? The answer that we should give is, we don't know. We don't know. The text doesn't say. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, probably heard what had happened as well, they fled and told it to the city in the, in the, count, uh, the country. So the city is a little ways from the, the, the shore. And they run to the city. Then the people went out to see. So all the city now empties out to come down and see if this has really taken place. This is a big deal. This was a huge event for this region. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. Just pause there. Who clothed him? Jesus did. Jesus clothed him. Clothed by Christ. Does that sound familiar? Friends, we are similarly clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We wear his robe like Joseph wore the coat of many colors. Jesus has now clothed this man he is there and he is in his right mind. And they were afraid. They saw this. They, they knew the power that that man had and they could only begin to, to understand the power that Jesus had. It, it, it scared them to death. They were afraid. When those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed, they told them how it went down. Go. That's all he had to say. Go. This is a radical transformation. Now, up until this point, there have been no actual words exchanged from the man himself and Jesus. And I think there's been a lot of conversation now, a lot of dialogue, a lot of teaching, a lot of encouragement, a lot of revelation. Jesus is teaching this man one-on-one -on -one for some time. Demons are dealt with. Darrell Bach says it this way, in a complete reversal of the previously possessed man's demeanor, he's now clothed, whereas before he had been naked. He's now seated, whereas before he had been roaming. He is now associating with others as he sits at Jesus' feet, whereas before he sought solitude. But he is now of sound mind, whereas before he had been crying out in a loud voice. He is now comfortable in the presence of Jesus, whereas before he wanted nothing to do with him. Salvation, deliverance. Remember Jesus, his mission statement from Isaiah? Those who are in bondage will be delivered. Who's the chain breaker now? Who's the chain breaker now? Now it's testimony time. Time to testify. 
Then all the people of the surrounding ca- uh, country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart. They asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with a great fear. So he got in the boat. This is, it doesn't say they. I just it was struck by that. It may not be the case that the others stayed in the boat, but he got back in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had uh, gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. There's a purposeful unity between those. Go tell what God has done for you. He says what Jesus has done for him. What are we to conclude? Who is this man who stills the waves? And see, the answer is, he is God. He is God. Hmm. Two very different responses taking place. One is a, 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 an experience of the power of Christ, his unbelievable sovereign hand on display, and the response was, get away from me. Stay away. Trembling and fear. If that man comes any farther into our town, imagine what else he will disrupt as far as business goes. What else might happen? What else might we lose? All the stability that we want, he's going to shake up probably. Send him away. But the man who was delivered, he wanted to follow he was in. He's like, let's get in the boat. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm coming with you. And Jesus gives him an inter- interesting response. Whereas in other scenarios in Galilee, his response was, say nothing of this. Don't speak of this. Right? In this one, we're in the Gentile region. He says, go and declare. Tell them what God has done for you. This is a strategic hit, a strike to the heart of enemy territory that Jesus has launched. And then he leaves a witness of light to shine in the dark. And this man goes away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. What a testimony. There is power in a Christ-centered testimony. One of the things we work really hard on in membership class is to help those who become members here make sure that when you testify to the salvation of God that you don't tell inspirational stories. If when we share our testimony we say things like, I I turned my life around. Or I just grabbed the bull by the horns and decided it was time to do what was right. Or I pulled myself by my own bootstraps up and I got things and I put things together. We missed the point of the testimony. The testimony is about Jesus. It's about what He did. So tell Him what happened when Jesus saved you. How did He save you? What did He do to save you? He died 
to pay for my sins. He was buried and took the death that I deserved. He rose and conquered death and sin and Satan and hell for me. In my place, He did all the work. And I'm trusting Him all the way. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He broke my chains and set me free. That's what we long to tell when we share a testimony. It's what the world needs. Otherwise, they can watch Oprah, right? If you just want inspiration, there's plenty of that. It's all self-focused. Jesus calls us to a Christ-centered, gospel-centered, God-glorifying story. And I look around and I see countless stories of Christ's work and His power in this building right now. It's awesome. Jesus is the chain breaker. He broke the chains that chained down the chain breaker. No one could restrain him, but he could not deal with those demons. And Jesus, with a word, sets him free. So our response this morning, Jesus is the chain breaker. He set me free. He broke my chains. Sin, death, and hell. That's what I had. Those were the chains that held me. They held me fast. I could do nothing about them. No amount of goodness, no amount of good works, no amount of church attendance is going to solve that. Those chains will not bend or break. But in my place condemned he stood. He took those chains upon himself. He buried them, and on the third day, just like we celebrate every Easter, he shattered all the restraints and won the victory. It's finished. So the question has to be asked, this morning, what chains did you carry in to the service? Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you may have come in this morning and you're just dragging chains, right? This is Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a day of flowers and happiness and unity among family and flowers and flowers. How many of you feel this? You just, I can't believe what she said. I can't believe how I've been treated. Mother's Day. It's just a chain. Got to drag. Got to pretend. You're, you're dragging this in. Friends, he's the chain breaker. If you're carrying bitterness around, he can break that chain, right? He can break that chain. Some of you, one of the chains that you battle is, is food. Just an appetite that you can't say no to. You see something and you have to eat it. He can break that chain. 
about spending, purchasing, debt, credit cards. You know, there are people who struggle tremendously with the idolatry of just buying and buying. He can break that chain. Alcohol, got to say it. How many families have been ravaged by the chain that seems so impossible to deal with? He can break that chain. Drugs, he can break that chain. What else? What chain in your life does he bring to mind right now? Pornography? He can break that chain. Lust, temptation, our world is so filled with chains and temptation and heartache and brokenness and pain. I came that they may have life. So do the work that needs to be done this morning, friends. What chain did you drag in here? All week long, it's so easy for us to be dragging around these chains. We were not created to drag these chains. We were created to be free in Christ. Free. So drop them at the foot of the cross. Let Him deal with those chains this morning. Let's pray. Father, we give praise to you for your absolute sovereignty over Satan, over demons, over darkness. We praise you, Father of lights, the Lord of life. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, the chains of sin and rebellion that held us fast. We have a story to tell. And Lord, yet, though we've been forgiven in Christ, it's easy for us to start to drag around chains. Sometimes even the shame of our past wants to come up out of that grave and we start pulling the chain around of things that we've done and we're ashamed of. Lord, call us back to the gospel and help us to lay those chains down and break through those chains. Father, you're working right now in a thousand different ways. You know the chains that we tend to drag. You know the chains that we feel sometimes powerless to deal with, and you are bigger. And so I pray that you would break through. For your glory, deliver this morning the bondage that those who have come and dragging these chains feel. Father, we thank you that greater are you who are in us than, than the, the one who is in the world. We give praise to you for your absolute sovereignty over our enemy. And we look to you in all these things. We worship you as the sovereign Lord, the chain breaker. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's the reality, friends. Jesus has overcome, and he's sent us to go. So guess what? We've got to get out of the boat. We've got to get out of the boat. We've got to go to those places that need light. And this week, where He's placed you is exactly where He wants you to shine. So, Good Shepherd Community Church, may you go and shine as one whose chains have been shattered by the sovereign Lord of life and light. May your life this week point to Him. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.